0: It's good to see you this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me at, back to the book of Galatians. We began uh, three weeks ago, starting through Galatians and looking at that. But before we get to Galatians this morning, I want to look at a verse of Scripture that's kind of like, it's going to kind of be a key verse this morning to kind of thinking about some of the things that so often um, that really Galatians chapter 3, which we're going to be at today, talks about. There's a verse in Proverbs that says this, Proverbs fourteen twelve. it says, there's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. Is it true that sometimes in our life, we do things that we think that seems right at the time, but then later on down the road, you're going to like, wow, I wish I didn't do that. You ever done that before? No confessions this morning. Everybody's just saying, oh yeah, I've done everything right. No. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of things we do. I mean, in our world, even there's, in regard to religion, there's this, there's beliefs that seem right sometimes to a lot of people. But in the end, it really doesn't lead anywhere. And the thing is, is that if you do a survey, you've known this before, you've seen this uh, on, on, on TV and other places, surveys of people in America who say they believe in God. Uh, most of America would say they believe in God. But believing in God, just believing in God that he exists is not enough because the Bible says there's more to it. But then somebody says, well, well, I believe in God, but I believe, you know, if you're a, if you're a good person and you believe in God, then uh, that's enough to get to heaven. I mean, a lot of people believe that. It seems logical, right? If you believe in God, and you're a good person, then you get to go to heaven. But the Bible says there's more to it than that, because the issue is, it's like many years ago, I remember uh, encountering, uh, I was at a, uh, still in high school, senior in high school, and I was not a party person, so I didn't go to many parties, but I remember one time going to this thing with with a bunch of folks, and, and I'd grown up in a church, and I didn't, you know, I'd been a Christian for a few years, but didn't have a lot of uh, knowledge about scripture and things like that. Even though I, you know, studied uh, Sunday school knowledge, you know, I know some basic stories. But I remember going to. Uh, but I had. I was a, feral, a real moral person. I. I don't know how I got lucky and that worked out that way. But, but I was a real moral. I didn't do a lot of crazy things that you know a lot of teenagers did. I wasn't rebellious or anything like that. And I had a lot of rules and things and regulations in my life. And so I went to this this party, and um, you know, most everybody was drinking and whatever. And so some guy offers me some other guys, you know. 18 year old uh, offers me a beer. <laughs> He's supposed to be doing it anyway. But, um, and he says, Hey, you want, you, you want you want a beer? And I said, No. And he says, Why not? And he says, I say, Because I'm a good person. And, uh, that really impressed him a lot, I want to tell you right away. <laughs> and, uh, and so <laughs> that wasn't the right answer, by the way. And, uh, and so, uh, I, I, he said, Well, why do you, why do you, why do you want to be a good person? And I said, Well, because I believe in God and I believe God wants us to be good persons. And he says, and then he asked, the, and he said, then he, he, he quotes the one Bible verse he probably knows, which is something about Jesus drank. You know, so, you know, I think that was probably, too. He probably knew that one and the one about not being critical of other people or, you know, not judging others. I thought he probably, those are the two verses he knew. And he put those together. I was his whole theology. But, um, he looks at me and he's kind of like, he'd been drinking for a while, by the way, too. I want to tell you. He wasn't exactly uh, coherent totally. And he looks at me and he asked me a hard question. And the hard question was this. He says, well, you know, if you're going to be good, how good is good enough? How good is good enough? It's a good question. How do you know that you're good enough if that's how you base your relationship with God on? I mean, how many rules do you have to keep to, uh, to be right with God? And that's the foundation in a sense of what we're being talked about already for the last couple of weeks, what we continue to talk about here, is the whole thing of trying to add something to scripture. Trying to add something to what God says. Because Paul was fighting against this, and two weeks ago when we began and looked at chapter one, he gives, Paul gives his normal, uh, salutation, hey guys, I'm glad, you know, God is working. And then all of a sudden in verse six, he just jumps, he says, how can you have turned away from the, from where you were? How could you turn away from where you were, which which was believing that Christ was all you need to 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 follow this group of people that we talked about for the last couple of week, a group called the Judaizers, and their thing was this. They said, Well, you know, it's fine that people uh can be Christians. You can the Jesus thing is fine. But you need to add on to it Jewish rituals and Jewish law. You have to have the, the cultural things added on to it as well. So it was it was not just Christ Christ alone, it was also Christ plus something else. And so that was the, the battle that, that that Paul begins to fight and begins to address, the issue he began to address, because Paul had actually planted the Galatian churches. And in doing so, he told them this simple gospel, the simple truth is, all you need is Christ. And they understood that. And they'd experienced that, but now they were turning away because, or adding things to because of people who were influencing them in a negative direction. And so in chapter 3, we come and it kind of reinforces that again. And we're going to look at that chapter 3 today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 3. And we're going to look at a few of the verses, not every verse in here, but several of the verses. But he starts off in chapter 3, verse 1. He says this, you foolish Galatians. Now, I don't know about you guys. When somebody calls me a fool, it's not a compliment. That's the way you deal with it? Yeah. I mean, uh, you, you, you foolish Galatians, he says, who has bewitched you? And that's an interesting word, bewitched you. Uh, that word, that bascanano, uh, is is a word that means to fascinate or to cast a spell, or it's even translated sometimes as having an evil eye. I mean, any of you ever have parents that have an evil eye? You know, all they have to do, you know, they just look at you. And it, you have to say anything, and it just pierces you. And you're going like, I don't know if it's a real evil eye, but it's a stern, you know, stern look. Some of your parents, you know how to do the stern look, right? And for some of your kids, it works. And then for the strong-willed children, all it does is make, make it worse. You know what I'm talking about, right? It says, you know, some of you, he's, uh, Paul's saying here, I said, who has bewitched you? Who's giving you the evil eye? Who has Cause you to go in a different direction. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. He said, "Most of you guys, either know firsthand or secondhand about the about the fact that Jesus was crucified, died upon a cross, rose again. You know the fact." And then he says says this in verse two and verses three. He says, "I would like to learn just one thing from you." And begins to ask him some questions. "I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law?" And the answer to that was no. They didn't receive the Spirit by observing the law, or by, or did you do it by receive the Spirit by believing what you heard? He said, "You know, you know, you knew from day one the reason that when and we studied this at Acts uh, back this summer when when the Holy Spirit came into their life was it because they prayed extra hard? Was it because they were extra good people? Was it because they deserved the Spirit? No. It's because when." The, the Bible said to us in Acts clearly that when God, when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes into our life as a gift from God. It's a gift from God, unearned, undeserved. It's by grace that you receive the Spirit. He says, "So did you receive the Spirit by observing the law?" He ask them that question. The answer is no. Or by believing what you heard? Yes, that's the answer. Are you so foolish then? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to obtain or attain your goal? by human effort. The thing he's talking about here is a, is a a really big word, but it really is pretty simple. It's, it's the term called being justified by faith. It means that, and the word justified, so often when I think of it, here's a simple definition of the term. It says, it means just as if I had never sinned. Justified by faith means I am right with God as if I had never sinned if I believe God at his word. And it's through faith. It's not through works, it's not through doing good deeds. And and the faith that's described here is a simple faith. It's a faith basically that's it's a childlike faith. That is not, it doesn't mean you have to have just tremendous faith. It's just a simple childlike faith. Because in Hebrews 11, 1 it gives us a definition, a biblical definition of the type of faith we need to trust in God. It says this faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is Is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It means that we can believe fully that what God says about Jesus Christ upon the cross and what he did for our sins is true. Even though we can't go out and measure it exactly. And then what Paul does here is then he gives this, these Jewish Christians he gives them an illustration that will help them to understand. He's going like so. It's not like it's something that just happened recently. This has been going on. This whole idea of justification by faith, being just right with God, being right with God through faith in God, is something he says that happened all the way back in your history. So he refers to him in verse six. He says this: Consider Abraham. Who is Abraham? Abraham was called the God, uh, the the father of the nations. The father of nations. He was considered the father of the Jewish nation. And he was the person who, that goes back. If you were to trace back, you know, the person in your lineage that, that's probably the most prevalent person. I don't know if you've ever done this or not. I haven't done this. Okay. And it was the most prevalent person. The person was kind of like the, the, uh, the, the patriarch of the family. This would be who Abraham was. And he says, now consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God, Abraham. And it was credited to him as righteousness. What he was saying is this. Abraham, because of his faith, because of, what he had, because of his belief in God, it wasn't because of works. God credited to him this standing of being right with God. And that w- interesting word there, that word credited, is uh, a Greek word. It's, uh, and I don't even try to pronounce it. But it's an accounting term. It's an accounting term that means to take an inventory or to deposit something in someone's account. And basically it's kind of like this. Get to this idea here. Uh say all of us have a spiritual bank account. Okay? We have a spiritual bank account. And we want to deposit something in there that will make us right with God. Can we do it ourselves? On our own by just doing a bunch of good stuff? Can we can we do it? Do we ever know? Like the question that the guy, the drunk guy at the party asked me, you know, how much is enough? Can you ever know if you've done enough things? And even as those, are those things good enough? Because you know what it says in Scripture about the things that we do that are good works? They are, as the Bible says, filthy rags before God. That means they're just not, this is just not going to measure up. So in your spiritual bank account, if you want to get right with God in a real sense, the problem is, is we don't have anything to deposit. But what it's using here, and it's talking about Abraham, it says he believed God because of his faith in God. It was credited or deposited to him as righteousness. God deposited something in his account. And what was it? It was the righteousness or the things. It was the righteousness of Jesus Christ into the into our account. It's kind of like this. Let me illustrate it. Um, I was trying to think of a way to do this in a, in a real way. And so I started thinking about stories of my own life. About eight years ago, when I'd been here about a year, um, one day I was at lunch and I'd gone to lunch and sometimes I do this, um, I, I was out across, I think I was somewhere toward Morton or somewhere, I'm trying to remember where I was, And I remember, I remember what happened very vividly. But I was out going out to lunch and I was by myself that day, I had my newspaper, I was going to read the newspaper, eat lunch, you know, kind of enjoy the time. And so, you know, about the time I'm finishing up lunch and I'm thinking about, you know, I better go ahead and get my wallet out and pay my bill, I reach back. I'm going. There's no wallet back there. Where's the wallet? And I started thinking that I leave it in the car. And I'm going like, no. And I'm thinking I must have left it at home. What am I going to do? You ever had that happen to you? I hope not. It's terrifying. I'm going. Am I going to have to wash dishes? You know what am I going to do because I owe a bill. I've already eaten the food, and I don't have the money. I have no means nobody else in the store I didn't think knew me. And so about the time I see the I see the the uh the waiter coming over with the with the check and and he's going to come over and I'm going oh my gosh what am I going to tell the guy what kind of sad story could I make up? And so what it is is that I I I I'm sitting there and he comes over to me and he looks at me and he says uh just want to let you know uh that uh your bills already been paid for. He said, someone in a restaurant wanted to do it. And I said, who was it? He said, no, they just wanted to be anonymous. Then he said, and he says also, I think the dumb thing he said was, he says, they also paid the tip. I mean, if he'd been smart, he wouldn't have told me that. And I'd have to, of course, I wouldn't have anything to pay the tip anyway. He'd gotten two tips. But but the issue was, he was saying, and I'm going, oh, thank you, Jesus. And the first thing I thought about was, I'm looking around trying to figure out who in the restaurant had paid my bill, but obviously they must have left, and I didn't see them. I'd only been here about a year. I didn't know everybody. I was kind of like, who was it that did that? I still don't know. I still don't know. You see, I wanted to express my gratitude because they did something for me that I could not pay. They paid a debt I could not pay. But it's exactly what happens, what Jesus has done for us. You know, we don't have the ability to pay God in any tangible way to make things right with God because we just don't have that ability because it's never enough. I mean, that's just the way it is. But he says that I will pay the debt for you. I choose to do that because I love you, but you have to accept that that's true by faith. And when that happens, we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks, see, the reason that we do, that we follow Christ and obey Christ is not because we're trying to earn favor with Him, it's, because, it's in response to that kind of love that He has for us. It's in response to His love for us that we say, you know, what can we do? But don't want to respond in a, in a way toward Him that would say, yes, I want to follow you, I want to love you because of what you've done for me. It's interesting, in the next couple of verses there, Paul says this, and says in verse 8 and verse 9, he says, The Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. I mean, he's saying Abraham knew this. I mean, you were thinking this is the New Testament thing? No, this has been going all the way back to the Old Testament. And he says this, All nations, Abraham knew this, All nations will be blessed through you so that those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Is it saying that Abraham was the one? No, it's saying that Abraham experienced this he experienced God's love God's grace and because of that example we begin to understand that everyone after that would would have that same relationship or have that opportunity of the same relationship with God but then in verse 10 it says something really weird verse 10 was to me it's kind of like okay what's the deal here why did he throw this in after talking about faith and justification and stuff then he says in verse 10 but I understand after I read it three times I'm a little slow but after I read it three or four times I began to understand it and it says this in verse 10. Paul says, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. You're going like, if you're trying to, just, you know, trying to do it by observing rules and regulations, guess what? You're under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything, underline everything, everything written in the book of the law. After I thought about this, what Paul is saying to us here is this. If you want to try to please God and get connected with God through just doing, uh, through your own righteousness, through your own good works, this is the way it has to happen for it to work. You have to ace the test every time. You have to make a hundred percent on every test, on every rule and keep every rule perfectly every day for it to be good enough to matter to God because we're dealing with a perfect and holy God. It means you can never, and then Jesus came along and kind of blew it out of the water even more when he talked about, you know, it's not just about murdering someone, but it's thinking of think. it's what you think in your mind, or it's not about having an adulterous relationship, but it's what you think. So if you have one lustful thought, and you're done. That's what it's saying here. I mean, the curse of the law is that we can't meet the law. We can't, none of us can do that. And Paul anticipates their very next question. Then he's going like, well, why is there this big deal with the law and Scripture then? What's the big deal? And the whole I mean, the whole Old Testament was basically about the law and about what's the deal there? And in verse 19 in Galatians 3.19, it says, what then was the purpose of the law? And then Paul answers that in verses 24 and 25. He says this, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith, maybe be right with God by faith. Now that faith has come, so we are no longer under the supervision of the law. There's an interesting word there as well, and I was sitting down the other day looking at this, and that little phrase, that little phrase, put in charge to lead us, the law was put in charge to lead us, is a Greek word, it's called pedagos. Pedagos. And that word is not a word that we normally would use. If you have a King James version of the Bible, if the word there is placed, uh, the word is translated, that phrase is translated schoolmaster but it basically means this it's a servant who takes the children to school and somebody first service said well that's a bus driver <laughs> no 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 I did not even understand that was going on somebody said yeah bus driver bus driver that's who it takes kids to get into school no 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 this is the wealthy people in that day actually had people called pedagogs and the pedagogs what they would do is they were responsible for kind of making sure the kids got educated not just teach them everything, but make sure they got to where they were going to go. And it was like, it was a very important thing that the purpose of the pedagogues was to make sure that the children were led to, to, to take them to where they needed to go and to be there and, you know, to be successful. Almost kind of like a cross between a nanny and a, and a school. It's a whole bunch of things going on there. What Paul is saying here then is this He's saying the purpose of the law, it's, the purpose of the law is this, is to lead us to Christ. Because when I look at the law, the rules and the regulations, and try to, and I realize that I can never meet the demands of the law perfectly, what it leads me to is the conclusion that there must be another way. There must be another way. If I can't do it, there must be another way. And let me say it this way. Let me give you three statements I think that's true of this. It's kind of like this. Where there is no law, if there was no law, there would be no sin, right? Law defines sin. Secondly, the function of the law is to define the sin, not to, to, uh, and then the law cannot cure sin though, but it leads us to Christ because we realize we can't measure up and so what happens is it leads us to the conclusion that Christ is the only way. Because, you see, once again, where we started this morning, there is a way that seems right. The way that seems right is this. Well, I can measure up. I can do enough things. And if I do enough things, good things, then, then I deserve something good to happen in my life. And that's what, not what Scripture says. But there's things that seem right, but it leads to death. Now I'm going to ask the band, uh, wherever they happen to be this morning, to kind of make their way back on stage, because we're going to wrap up here in a couple of minutes. You're going like, wow, we're, no, we got a little while left. Okay. But uh, but let, let me share with you something this morning. I was trying to think how to illustrate this. And I was thinking, how does that work? The law and grace. How does it work together? And, and how can I illustrate that? Well, I thought about it. What I'll do is confess to you this morning my, my uh, stupidness. Isn't that a crazy, crazy way to do in the service? Okay. Because I'm going to tell you about the first time I got a speeding ticket. The first time I got a speeding ticket. None of any of you ever had a speeding ticket here? Anybody here? Come on. Be honest. Okay, put your hands down. You're just as guilty as the last crowd here. You're just as, you know, law-breaking as everybody. Okay. I remember years ago, I got, I was, the the thing was this. is was, I was, um, I was in Virginia where I I grew up. And I was in my first church uh, full-time. And it was on a, I was on a Tuesday night. And there was church. We had a thing back then called church visitation. Church visitation was is that some of us would go to church. We'd get a stack of cards and addresses and names of people that had some connection. Sometimes people would give it to us. Sometimes they had been people that had made contact with the church, whatever. And our deal was to go out and visit those folks. All five of us who showed up for church visitation, three staff people and two other people, um, had gone on church visitation. I'd finished up. It was about 8 or 9 o'clock. I don't remember exactly the time. And I was on my way back home. And as I was on my way back home, now I grew up in the town, Salem, Virginia, where I was at, okay? But I not, but this was on the far side of Salem. Salem's such a huge place. It has 25,000 people, you know, it's a monstrous city. And, um, and so I wasn't familiar with this. This is my excuse. This, I wasn't as familiar with the territory over there. So I was coming down the road, and it was a zone I was in was 35 miles an hour, but then it changed to 25 miles an hour, and I didn't pay attention to it. Okay? And so about the time I just pulled up and on the main road, like two blocks from the church, and, and the policeman pulled me over and, you know, and, and said, sir, you're doing 37. I'm going, 37? That's only two miles over the speed limit. He said, no, sir, the speed limit was 25 miles an hour. You're doing 37. Gave me the ticket, no mercy. And so what I decided to do is that, you know, I'd heard people that t- told me, I, You know, that if you go to traffic court, sometimes a judge will, you know, reduce the sentence or whatever. Maybe have mercy on you, have a good day or something like that. So I decided to go to traffic court. I got to traffic court and I discovered something at traffic court that I did not know. No one at traffic court is guilty (laughs) in their own mind. No one. I was sitting there in a room with a bunch of people who had gone through, had gotten tickets as well. And so they call on a person's name. I don't know how they figure out which order you're in. You know, and so they call on a person's name and I was way I ended up being way at the end, kinda of like tenth out of twelve. And the first person comes up and I remember the story I couldn't believe, it was an incredible story she told. About how she was going down the road and her windows were fogged up and and, and how she couldn't really tell that she didn't see the sign. She told this whole long story. I'm thinking, if the windows were fogged up, why were you going faster than you needed to be going? But that didn't make sense. It didn't have to make sense. But she kept going through this whole thing. And at the end of her story, the judge looked at her and said, so you say you're not guilty? And she says, yeah. And he says, yes, you are. And he, gave, he said, go pay the fine. Next person comes up and tells a wonderful story. I mean, I could go through stories. I remember most of them because they were such, some of them were like epic stories. You know, it was amazing what people can do when they're trying to get out of something. And Not one person out of about eight or ten people in front of me was guilty by their own in their own minds. Every one of them told a story about why they weren't guilty and and I was sitting there going like, "Do I want to do this?" so they call, finally called my name white Bill, and I go up there. luckily, I was in, nobody else in my church was there that day and um And so I go up there and I, you know, stand before the judge and he asked me, okay, Mr. White, you're doing 37 in a 25 zone. Do you have any, tell me your, he said, tell me your story. (laughs) And he said, I said, guilty as charged. And he looks at me and he goes, what? He literally did that. What? I said, yeah. I said, you know, I could tell you a story. I'm not trying to make myself look good, okay, because I was guilty. But, uh, you know, but the thing is, is that I said, you know, I'm guilty. I said, I was going down the road. I wasn't paying attention to the speed limit. I know it changes. I went back later to look. It did change. I wasn't aware of that. But the thing is, is I was doing 37 in a 25 zone. And I'm going, maybe because I'm truthful. (laughs) You'll have mercy. No. No. He did look at me and say, well, because you're the only person here in the room that's really guilty. He said, I am going to take, you'll admit your guilt. I'm going to take a little bit off. So he took like five miles off and you had to pay so much per mile over the speed limit you were going. And so it reduced my fine. But I still had to go pay a fine. Was I guilty? Yeah, I was guilty. How did I know that I was guilty? How did I know? The law. The law. It was posted. Now I may have not have been totally aware of the law at that place and that location, but it was there. It was posted. There's laws, rules, regulations. We know them. Was everybody else in the room guilty? Yeah. Will my driving ever be perfect? No i've had two other tickets since then one going 28 in a 15 mile zone i didn't know there was such a thing and you think 20 in front of the school slow try to go 15 okay and then and then the other time was about three or four years ago we was on our way home from to virginia i've been driving for this is a sad story i'm like gotta tell you though um I was driving and I'd gone, we'd driven like, it takes 12 hours to drive to Virginia, 780 miles. We'd driven like 680 miles and we're going down through West Virginia, through Big, Big Walker Mountain, going down a hill. They changed it and the speed limit stayed 55, through the, through the tunnel's 55. usually used to come out of the tunnel and it went back to 70. Well, guess what? It didn't, wasn't that way anymore and I was doing 76 going down the hill. Big, steep hill. This is in West Virginia. Policeman pulls me over, looks at me. And I tell him a sad story: how I've been driving for hours to go see my family. <laughs> guilty. And I was guilty. Yeah, I was guilty. He took a couple miles off. That's about it. And that's that's all the deal was. The thing is, folks, you know, the only way, the only way in regard to traffic court that I would be declared not guilty is what? How? Is I if I had a grace-filled judge who would look at me and declare me not guilty. See, that's, that's what God does for us. The law defines the sin. The law is there to lead us toward Christ to realize I can never measure up to God's perfect plan for my life. But thank goodness we have a God who is a grace-filled judge, who wants to give to us the opportunity of being free in him and living life and free in him and not have to sit around all the time and, and, and thinking, well, you know, if I've done enough today to measure up for God, so he'll like me today, or maybe I need to do a couple more things because I've done a couple of bad things. Is that the way we live life? Verse 11 in Galatians is, uh, Galatians 3 is kind of the the key verse. It says, Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. Now, let me ask you this morning. There's in your bulletin, there's another separate little document, a one page, half page thing that says on there this question. It says this What is holding you back from experiencing freedom in Christ? What is holding you back from experiencing freedom in Christ? in christ i i know this to be a fact many of you feel guilty this morning and you just feel like well you know you can't imagine you know god couldn't love me that much because you don't know all the stuff i've done i mean not even my spouse knows all the stuff i've done or or even my mom or my dad knows all the stuff i've done and how could god possibly he knows everything and and how could he be that forgiving but he he wants to be See, the good news is is that God has already forgiven you. He's, He's already offered you forgiveness. You just have to accept that by faith. And guess what happens when you can do that? You can live in the freedom that God wants you to live in. So I would ask you this morning, what is it that you're holding back from God that you're still trying to control yourself, that you need to give over to Him, that's binding you? Is it fear? Is it, is it, you know, I mean, some of you are going through financial peace right now because you're, you're going like, man, I need this stuff. I don't want to admit to anybody, but I need this stuff because I've been living in, in fear of, of, of day-to-day about my finances, and I need to learn some things from God and, and follow that. Maybe some of you, it's about relationships. It's, you know, I've been living in this kind of relationship with others that are not really godly relationships, and so I'm constantly at, at odds with God in regard to that, and I feel guilty because of that. See, the God says to us, you know, he says, give it to me. And and, and allow that part of of your life to be something that I can work with and, and work through you. What we're going to do this morning, I ask you just to write down maybe this morning on that sheet of paper, just the one thing, what is holding you back from experiencing freedom in Christ? We probably could all write something down. And I'm going to give you the opportunity this morning to do something we don't do too often at Great Oaks. And that's to respond in a very tangible way. You see the cross in the middle of the floor. One of the things that God did when he, how he paid our debt was he nailed his son to the cross. It's a symbol of freedom. We don't see it as a symbol of freedom, but it's a symbol of freedom. And God wants to set you free from whatever it's holding you back in the bondage of your own life from Him, from allowing you to have the relationship with Him He wants you to have. And this morning is a symbol of you turning that area over to God and saying, God, I want you to work in this area. I don't want you to put your names on those sheets. I don't want you to do anything else. But what you can do this morning, I'm just going to ask everybody to, just to bow their head and to keep your eyes closed. Nobody's going to be looking around. But this morning, uh, our band's going to play a song. They're going to they're gonna start playing through an old hymn that I l- learned as a kid. Jesus paid it all. And as they play through that this morning, I'm going to give you the opportunity, while you remain seated, and you can get up from where you are, with all the, the bands playing this song, you can get up and take to the cross, like a lot of po- folks did in first service. You can take the cross and take that sheet of paper and just put it over one of those nails on the cross as a symbolic gesture of saying, God, I want to give this to you. This area of my life that I'm holding back from you, and it's causing me bondage. I'd ask this morning did you do that in a tangible way. Because I think at times we need to take stands on things. And we need to say to God more than just, hey, God, you know, I really mean business in this area. So if you mean business in an area and you want God to take it and you want to give it to him this morning, while the band plays, while we uh, just listen to this, you have the opportunity when I go off the stage in just a moment here to go back. And you can go put it on the cross, put it on the cross, and go back and sit down. Then we're going to sing this song as we close in just a few moments. After you have a chance to write, just bow your heads and prayerfully ask yourself that I you take something to the cross this morning. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakcc.org.